Last week we had the superintendent here, the pastor to pastors. This week you get me, a farmer. Three weeks ago on a Wednesday, we were down in San Diego. Lori and I were in San Diego. And uh, we were supposed to be down there to relax a little bit and visit with my mom. And my mom's been battling vision issues with her eye for a while. And she finally had a doctor's appointment with one of the best doctors on the West Coast. And so we anxiously went to UC San Diego to see this doctor. And um, while we were waiting uh, for my mom to finish giving blood work and looking for cancer and all the rest of the stuff that they do, Lori gets a phone call, and it's from her dad. I just want you to know that I've got melanoma, and they've taken a section out of my eye. And um, she hangs up, and we look at each other like, what's next? Well, that very same day, some of you have been praying for my son-in-law and Melissa, Eddie, uh, who found a lump on his neck. And within the hour, we get a phone call from Eddie. Yeah, it's cancer. We didn't know what kind, we didn't know how severe, but the word cancer was put out there, and it was like, okay, Lord, that's three of them. We haven't had cancer in our family ever. And so the last two weeks, I've been spending some time just searching the Lord. Thank God Eddie's cancer isn't serious. It's thyroid cancer. He's going to have his thyroid taken out. He'll be fine. Um, it turned out Lori's dad had the melanoma cut out, and the margins were good. He's going to be fine. Unfortunately, my mom's story isn't so well. But we'll get through it with God's help. And um, today I want to talk about Peter and, and failure, but there's a huge difference between failure and trials, okay? I just want, to, I, I want us to remember that. Failure is self-imposed. Trials are what the Lord brings to us to make us and mold us and turn us into men and women of Christ. Big difference. There's a big difference. So in preparation, uh, last week, Lori and I went out, and we, uh, I bought a new suit, and I forgot the coat. It's in the back. And suits don't do well on me. <clears throat> I went and got my hair cut. <laughs> Boy, did I get my hair cut. And you know, do you ever, do you ever sit in where somebody's, they're, they're cutting your hair, and it's kind of a private thing anyway. I hate it when people are touching my hair. And this, this lady says to me, uh, where do you live? And I said, Rick Rial. Oh. Oh, okay. And she's cutting away, and she's talking a little bit. Well, what do you do? And I just kind of wanted to crawl under the table because... She already had tied Rick Rial to our pond. <laughs> and I said, I'm a dairy farmer. And you could just see her nose. 
just start to wrinkle. And this lady started cutting like no cutting tomorrow. And I can't see anything without my glasses on, and I'm looking in front of this mirror, and I'm thinking, this is getting kind of short from what I can see. I put my glasses on, and like, what did you do? But anyway, I'm prepared and ready to go. No pressure. And I want to take a look at Peter, because I think Peter, Peter's story is my story. I think Peter's story is a lot of our stories. In fact, I think it's probably every single one of ours where we've made mistakes, where we've, where we've failed. And the question I had is, what does Christ do with failure? What does Christ do with me when I fail and I fail miserably? And what happens to to us, what happens to me as a, as a person, as a leader in the family, as a leader in the church, what do I do when I fail? And Peter was no different than any one of us. The story starts with, and it's well documented, the failures of the last week of Christ's ministry on earth. The failure in the garden where Peter fell asleep, and then he cuts the ear off a guy. Then we all know that after Christ was crucified, or be, and he was, before he was crucified and he was led away to be crucified, we, know, we all know the story of Peter denying Christ. It's well documented. It's so well documented. And so how does... How does Christ handle his failure? How does Christ handle my failure when this happens? And, and I was reminded that Peter is in charge of his own failure. Christ is in charge of Peter's restoration. I'm in charge of my own failure. I'm the one who I, I have nobody to blame we have nobody to blame but ourselves, but Christ is the one who's going to restore us, who's going to redeem us. He never changes. He never leaves. And I've found, as Peter has found, that failure is not an event. It's not a destiny. Sometimes in the church, we make it. We make it so. That if you commit the ultimate sin, whatever that may be in your mind, that that is now your destiny, and you are no longer qualified. Christ tells us a different story here, a much different story. So the first point that I think we should start with is, is after the failure, after the risen Christ is where we're going to start. And we know from... Uh, Mark 16, verse 7, where Christ said, go, tell the disciples and Peter, and Peter. So Christ sent for Peter, specifically. He instructed the, the angels that were guarding the tomb that met Mary 
Hey, Mary, let me in. Let me tell you a little secret here. Peter's in a bad way. Peter's been missing for three days. And so when they, angels are probably Michael or whatever the angels' names are, but um, just, just remind the ladies when they get there that not only do you need to go to the disciples and tell them that I'm alive, but go find Peter. Because he's hurting. He's in a bad way. And Peter had to have been struggling for three days. Christ laid in the tomb. And I put myself in, in Peter's shoes. And, and what, what do I do? How do I handle failure when I hurt the ones that I love the most? How do we handle that? I know how I did. The last place I wanted to go was home and face Lori. The last place I wanted to come was church. The last place I wanted to go was an elder board meeting. And I think the last place Peter wanted to go was the upper room. He's not going to go face his friends because he's still trying to figure out if he's a traitor or a disciple. And I can imagine that we know from Scripture that after he denied Christ three times, Peter wept and he wept and he wept. But we also know that Peter knows that Judas committed suicide for denying Christ. So how low could Peter be? Pretty low. Pretty low. But in his lowly state, in his fragile mind, where his whole world collapsed around him, Christ sent for him. And I know that in my life when, when, when I failed, whether I want to admit it or not, Christ did send for me. And... and the loneliness of the situation, Christ calls for us and more or less says to us, come meet with me. Second thing Christ did in, our, did in Peter's failure and he does in us is Christ met with Peter. How do we know this? We know this from Luke 24 verse 34 where it says, uh, it is true the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Peter. And then in second or in 1 Corinthians 15 it says Paul tells us this and he says at the very end of the verse that he appeared to Peter and then the 12. So we know from these two verses that somewhere between Christ appearing in the upper room and standing and talking and eating with his disciples somewhere in that period he had to have met with Peter because he sent for Peter, and then we hear from two other authors that he appeared to Peter and then the 12, or the 10 at that point. There's no record of this. There's no history. There, I, I wish we had a dialogue of, of what took place with Christ and Peter. How did that reaction, how did that interaction take place. 
And I've got to believe it was one of Christ sitting next to him and putting his arm around him. And Peter, you know, I still love you. And uh, we're going to get through this. And we're going to do this together. And, and we're going to make it. And Peter, you don't have to say a word. Because I get it. I understand. I understand human nature. Heck, I was human. I get it. And that, that interaction had to have been one of... Um, one of the probably one of Peter's most private moments. Because in his mind he's thinking, I can't go back and see my buddies. There is no way that I'm going to face my friends. I don't know what this whole risen Christ thing is all about, even after I followed him for three years, and I still don't get it. But I know one thing. I'm not going back to the upper room. What I love about this, what I love about this meeting between Christ and Peter, there was no public humiliation. There was no shame letting. Peter had wallowed in shame for three days. And when Christ came to him, he didn't say, okay, Peter, now you're on your own. You got to go see your buddies. And you've got to confess all your sins and you've got to just lay your heart out. And they're going to judge you and tell you if you're okay to be a disciple still. He didn't do it. There was no humiliation, at least publicly. And I think, wow. Because I remember when I made mistakes, when I failed, I remember the exact words coming out of my mouth to Lori, if you make me go to the church and tell what I've done, I will never step foot in that church again, ever. And I promise that. And how many of us walk around with that kind of fear? That fear is not from Christ. Christ wants to meet you. He wants to meet with you in your trial, in your pain, in your mistakes. He wants to meet you one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't want to humiliate us, nor does he want us living in shame. In our isolation, which is what at least men normally do, when I failed, I know I want to be alone. I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to stay in the office. Or I'm just going to stay home. I am not going to attend any church. I will be alone. And Christ will meet us in our isolation. He met Peter. He'll meet us. He'll meet you. I got to think that Peter was probably looking for him. I got to think that Peter was thinking, is Christ alive? Is this true? I've got to think that. You've got to think that. He didn't give up on this dream, but he still felt humiliated and shamed, and Christ met with him anyway. The third thing that Christ did in his, in his mistakes was he challenged Peter, and he did this in, in John, verse, John chapter 21. 
It's a great chapter. And if you've been raised in the church, you all know it well. And Christ meets them on the shore. And uh, Peter and, and six of his buddies are fishing, and they, and they list the, the guys that are fishing with him. And they're in, they, they've been out all night long, and, and I could just imagine Peter sitting in the upper room, and, and he's, he's already done his little stint with um, Christ in the upper room, and, and he's been with the buddies, and they're sitting around going, now what? What do we do? And Peter goes, I'm going fishing. I usually say, I'm going farming. I'm going to get in a tractor and disappear. I'm just going to go out and wander through my animals, and they don't talk back. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And some of his buddies go, I'm going with you. So they're out there all night long. Charlie, you're a fisher, fisherman. There is nothing worse than sitting all night long on a cold Galilee lake and not catching a thing. And I wonder what those guys talked about. But, Peter, uh, but, but Christ shows up on the shore. He makes a fire. And the boat's coming in. He says, did you catch anything? He said, no. Throw your nets on the other side. Peter's going, brain, this happened to me once before. You see, back when Peter was called to be the fisher of men, the exact same thing happened. They spent a night fishing, didn't catch anything. They're coming up to the shore. Christ is waiting there. There's no fire burning this time. But Christ is waiting there. He says, throw your nets on the other side. You'll catch fish. And they did. And Christ said, follow me. What's the coincidence of those two? Why, why are both of those included in the scripture. And, and I got to believe that it was Christ in a very, very subtle way asking, and asking Peter, will you obey me even when it makes no sense at all? Will you listen to me even when I ask you to do something that sounds so out of this world, will you still obey me? He was challenged by Christ. He was challenged at the beginning of his ministry the same way he was challenged at the end of the ministry. And I thought, you know, that's kind of like me, where through life you've got ups and downs, ups and downs. There's nobody that lives life on a plateau. We all go through chapters. I was just talking with Michael. Empty house. No kids at home. But we also realize that once you finally get all your kids out of the house and you go, ah, now all you want to do is come back. <laughs> and, and it's so cool. Different chapters in life. Different challenges. Different mistakes. Different, different trials at every chapter. But Christ stays the same through our entire life. Through the three years that Peter walked with Christ, he began with throw your net on the other side, and he finished with throw your net on the other side. He closed that chapter 
for Peter. Laid it down. That's the end of it. Okay, you're done learning. Now it's time to go to work. And I found that in my, in my personal life that when I fail, when I fail colossally, the last thing I want to do is get back to God's work. The last thing that I want to do is, is have a visit with the pastor. But Christ challenged Peter and said, that's not going to happen. You cannot wallow in your pity. This chapter is closed. We're going to move forward. We're going to move on. And we know that in, chapter, in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, and I want to read those. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Probably like, we've been through this already. We talked about this a few days ago, just the two of us. So Peter's probably getting a little upset here. Verse 17, and the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to the Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. At that instance, Christ reinstated Peter. When Peter said, I love you, he said that in front of his other five buddies. This challenge took place in front of the other guys that were fishing with him. This challenge took place in front of the other guys that also knew Peter had denied Christ three times. So I don't think it's insignificant that Christ asked Peter three times the same question. Because three times he was asked that question. And three times he failed the answer. And this time, in front of his peers, in front of Christ, he was asked three times, do you still love me? Do you still love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And yes, Lord. Probably the last time, probably through clenched teeth. Like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. We've been through this. But at the same time, his buddies are listening. And they're going, Peter's going to be okay. Peter means it this time. I think, I think Peter may even still be a leader. Maybe. We need to give him another chance. I don't know what was said between them. I'm just guessing as a guy who fishes once in a while, who likes to hang out with guys, what do we talk about? Guy things. Leadership. 
This was important for Peter. Even though Christ, even though Christ um, met with him one-on-one, -on -one, this meeting had to take place in front of the other guys. So Christ reinstated him. The last thing that Christ did in, uh, in, in Peter's life before, before he ascended was this. He re-enlisted him. He re-enlisted him. Back to John chapter 21. At the very end of verse 19, he said to Peter, then he said to him, follow me. And my NIV has an exclamation point behind it. If you're looking at the ESV, the exclamation point's missing. But I like it there because it shows that Christ has some excitement. He's, let's get to work. This is done. We're over this. Follow me and let's get going. We're not going to talk about this anymore. Little does Peter know that 2,000 years later we still are. But Christ says, follow me. He re-enlisted him. So what does Christ do with my failure? What does Christ do with your failure? He redeems it. He redeems it. Christ doesn't want us to live alone in isolation. He doesn't want us to be apart from him for whatever reason. And I know that as a guy, the last thing we want to do is sit around and, and, and talk about our failures. But I started a small group about a year ago, and it's a group of seven guys from seven different walks of life that have done exactly what happened around the campfire, where we've spilled our guts, admitted our failures, and didn't receive shame, didn't get kicked out of the club. Instead, we were all met with open arms. And then it was as if Christ said, okay, let's get to work. And he's still doing that in lives of, of my guys. And this has been a huge, huge learning process. I'm 50, 56. I always want to say 55. I'm 56. My doctor corrected me last week. He said, you're not 55. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I've never been involved with a group of guys like that. And I found out that I'm not a freak. That I'm not the only one who struggles. I'm not the only one who failed. And I think one at a time, every guy in the, in, in the group, the light bulb came on. And, I'm not a freak. I'm not alone. I made mistakes. And for one hour a week, we can be real with each other. And we do it all because Christ died for us. We do it all because Christ loved me first. And through me, we're, we're to love others. We're to, we're, we're to spread his word. 
And today we, 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 we've got communion. And it's a reminder to us that Christ paid the ultimate penalty for my failure. The conversation with Peter probably would have been quite different if it had happened during Moses' time. The rules changed with Christ. All of a sudden, it went from being a bunch of laws to a relationship. And to each one of us, Christ says, I don't care about your failure. I love you, and I want you to remember that. Now go forth. Follow me. We're going to watch a short video that helps illustrate the point. Not only the point of our failures, but the point of Christ redeeming us. And then the praise team is going to come up and they're going to start their music and as you feel led, you can come up and, and, and get, your, get the sacraments for communion. There's two tables in the back. There's two up here. Take your time. Take your time. If it's been a while since you did business with God, do it. Either do it now or do it when you get home, but do it now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example that Peter gave us that you loved him anyway. That it's not anything that I can do to win your favor. That you love me just the way I am. But yet you say, follow me. So Lord, as we take communion today, help us to remember what you went through. That you were denied and crucified for me that you rose on the third day for me, that you love me.